0: Locke's interview, of course, brought to you by our friends at Murdoch Hyundai in Linden and Murray. Check them out online, com and MurdochHyundaiLinden.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Uh, He is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend David Locke. Hello, David. Hope you are well. I am doing well. How are you? Hey, I think we are doing really well, especially with the news coming out today about the NBA. Adrian Wojnarowski, amongst others, reporting what you know, partially, partially anyway, what the owners are going to be voting on on Thursday, which of course would be tomorrow. Your thoughts on the format and what we've learned today?
1: Well, I think we've talked about a lot of different things throughout this process and how it's going to play and what it might be and 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 what moved the meter. And we, I think, we did a Venn diagram conversation a little while ago, and you know, I think. What we've learned is that the Venn diagram that has the, um, you know, one, I think, well-being of basketball, trying to get as many games in as possible so that when they do hit the playoffs, the games are better mattered. I think getting games in for several hundred million dollars was the comment that Woj made on Scott Van Pelt's show last night. Um, I think mattered. Um, So, you know, and I think at the same time, they knew you couldn't bring back Golden State, Minnesota, and Atlanta because they weren't going to play anybody. So I think they figured out what seems to be the the best model, and we'll see how it works. And I, I don't think we know the answer to that.
2: How much value, David, is there in eight games being played that are essentially regular season games before the playoffs actually begin? And when you say value, what do you mean by value? What, what's the upside of having those games played?
1: Well, I think several hundred million dollars was the first one. <laughs> uh, according to Woad, so there's a big one. And then I think the other value is that you allow you hopefully get a more representative champion at the end of it. Um, particularly in the sense that if, if you just came out and played the playoffs and the team's a little rusty and not quite ready to go, then Right out of the shoot, you know, Milwaukee's down three-one to Orlando, and all of a sudden they don't they don't get out of the first round because they, they weren't quite ready to go. I think that would be a pretty that'd be a pretty big bummer.
0: David, uh, kind of a, a quirky part of this whole thing is that there could be a play-in tournament, which would really be, I mean. Uh well, anyway, a play-in tournament between teams eight and nine if uh, team nine is within four games of team eight. And when I initially thought of that, I thought, boy, that's kind of a, a wide gap. But then I thought to myself, you know, these teams uh, that are not, currently not in the playoffs, they all of a sudden went from middle of the pack to the worst teams in the league. So it's going to be hard for them to make up games because they're going to be the underdogs in every game they play. So all of a sudden that four-game gap didn't seem quite so wide to me.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. You're absolutely right. I, that, I had not put... That's a great point. I hadn't put those two together yet about what you just said. That's abs- You're absolutely right.
0: Well, think about th- this. I mean, uh, with the w- if you're the Wizards and they play eight regular season games, how many of those do you actually expect them to win? One?
1: Well, they will not be favored in any of them, right? Right. they don't on a neutral site, and every other team is better than them.
2: Yep. So do you think that would also, David, uh, uh, make it for maybe... Uh, more travel room for a team like the Jazz when uh, the Thunder are one game back and the Rockets and the and Dallas are two-and-a-half games back and and uh, Denver is, what, a game-and-a-half ahead of the Jazz? Do you think this kind of schedule could make for more mobility in that regard?
1: I did it today, and I, I, I could see us very easily ending up as the 14th seed out of 16. Hmm. The good news is I can't find a scenario where we play the play-in game. Um, or maybe I have, us, I have us as the 13th seed. Like, we could very, very easily end up being the 13th seed. So, right, it's got to be, like, they haven't announced this yet, but they've got to be seeding. No, we could be the 14th seed. Uh, but they have to, if we're doing this play-in thing, we've got to be, well, wait a sec, they're, does that mean, no, wait a sec, they're saying between 8 and 9. Yeah,
0: so that would so be... then they're not going 1 through 16 then. According to Woj. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's really oh, uh, interesting. When we talked, to I thought
1: This whole time, about the minute they brought back four Western Conference, four or five Western Conference teams, and only one Eastern Conference team, that we are on the verge of one through 16. But you're right. If, there's, if the way Woj is saying it, eight and nine, not 15 and 16, and it's a play-in for the eight seed, then we're not even breaking up Eastern and Western Conference, which I think is too bad. I would have liked to have seen that.
2: Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because when we talked with Steve Cyphers earlier in the program, he he also assumed it would be one through sixteen. So maybe maybe there is something different coming.
1: Uh, well, Woj doesn't miss much. He's pretty <laughs> well connected. The people who we'll tell see. him what he knows usually know what they're talking about. So, um, I would I would guess that. I would guess that that's not the case. But if you did go one through 16, by the way, I did that today, we could have ended up 14th, or like which I don't think sure actually matters, no problem at all. I mean, other than 14th means you're playing a three seed, and you don't want that. But um, there, there's, not, there's not a lot of, um, you know, without home court advantage, it, it's not a big deal. Now, by the way, um, I haven't heard anybody talk about this, but Utah and Denver are the only teams in the, in the league that actually have a home court advantage. Statistically, the only two teams that have an advantage um, at home are Utah and Denver. So we, we would have the biggest um, you know, step back of any team in the league.
0: David Locke is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, I want you to uh, uh, weigh in on a conversation that uh, Gordon and I were having a couple of segments ago talking about this year's Utah Jazz. We talked about the inconsistency, and it's not the first Jazz team I've covered that's been inconsistent, because if you think about the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer Jazz teams, they weren't very good on the road. They were great at home, but they weren't very good on the road. They weren't consistent, but you kind of point to it and say, well, here's why. With this Jazz team, you know, they have some really huge wins on the road. They have a, a, some losses at home, especially at the beginning of the year, and these you know big long streaks of wins, and then these you know losing streaks as well, where they're not playing as well. Is there something? Um, and Gordon asked me this question: Is there something you, you can put your finger on as to why?
1: Well, this year was funky, right? Um, we had these you know big ups and big downs, and stretches opening the year and opening out of the break where we where we struggled. Um, and that was a little different than kind of what i what I think we usually do um Is there a reason why um I don't, probably not that I have for you um you know, I always think that there's a level where we think and this year might not be the truth but in the past, I've always felt like we say these things and we think we're more inconsistent than we actually are, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, like our record against above 500 teams just wasn't very good this year. But our record against above 500 teams or below 500 teams was great. So I'm i not sure that the premise of the question, when you say that we're inconsistent, is anything more than maybe who our opponents were. Okay. Right. Well, like, I mean, that's an explanation, certainly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so of, in the Western Conference, there were four teams. Uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head. There were four teams that were above 500 against above 500 teams. And then Utah, Oklahoma City, Dallas were not. Houston is actually who was inconsistent. Houston and Denver were two teams that were above five hundred against good teams and I think lost double digit games against bad teams. In fact, I think Houston may have lost as many as fifteen games against below five hundred teams. I'm I'm off might be off by a little. That's a lot. I mean they probably only lost twenty five games this year. I don't know the standings in front of me. Um so that fifteen seems like a lot, but my memory on us is that we were four or five games below 500 against above 500 teams. And we were really good against below 500 teams, which would lead me to say that, you know, maybe that's just who we are is, is that level of a team.
2: David, do you think the Jazz are in a position where they are at a disadvantage from the standpoint of there's so much coordination in their offense and timing as far as passes and movement and all of that goes? Versus, I think I may have asked you this before, but I can't remember what the answer was, as opposed to a team that has a couple of star players and they, can, they rely more on just pure talent. I mean, we've started
1: so poorly to open the year offensively, and we started the year so poorly right out of the All-Star break that both those things would seem to make perfect sense, right? Like, like that would seem to be a legitimate... Like, if you, if you came to me with that, I would have to say, yeah, probably. I mean, if you go back and look at our opening games of the season, this I do have in front of me, just, um, you know, our 52nd, 63rd, 60th, 57th best offensive game, so four of our worst offensive games came in the first eight games of the year. And then a few more came in November. They, and, and under Quinn, they've always happened early. Then you go back to like out of the break and all of a sudden we were terrible again. We were 53rd offensive performance against the Spurs 50th against the Rockets warmed it back up a little bit when we got going in some less good teams. But yeah, our offense wasn't, our offense wasn't nearly, you know, nearly as good as, uh, when we first came out of breaks, as it was earlier in the year, now the post All-Star break, our real problem is we were awful defensively, um, and so we, it wasn't so much that we were bad as bad offensively; as, it was more that we were awful defensively. Um, so that will be, you know, have to see. Yes, I think that's a legitimate argument. I could just as easily argue, though, that the teams that will have the greatest advantage coming back are teams that can protect the rim that force teams to shoot from the outside or take low percentage shots because the fact that shooting will be off. And so those defenses that can do that will have a unique advantage. Those defenses thus would be Milwaukee and Utah. Um, and I think the, uh, uh, Brooke, Brooklyn and Orlando and Miami are the five best rim protective teams in the NBA that don't allow you to have shots at the rim. That may be more important than ever before if you're forcing people into mid-range shots and non-rim shots when they've been out of rhythm.
0: David, who do you think is most important now, I guess, in the absence of Boyan Bogdanovich? I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this. How do you make up for his production, and whose job is that going to be ultimately?
1: So I'll give you I do don't know if this was—if I did this on Locked on Jazz or if I did this on— on your show already so i apologize if i if i did i think i thought i think i mentioned this with scotty and hands and i don't think i did this on one of the shows but i found a really interesting note the other day so if you look at boyan bogdanovich this year with rudy gobert off the floor okay 363 possessions that's it so boyan bogdanovich this year so far this year, played a total of 4,265 possessions. And only 363 of them were with Rudy Gobert off the floor. Is that amazing to you at all? Or is this like everyone knew
0: this except for me? (laughs) No, no. It seems, uh, I certainly didn't notice that to that extent.
1: 92% of Boyan's minutes were with Rudy on the floor. So the Jazz had taken Boyan, and I think the thought on this, I haven't talked to any of the coaches, but was they were protecting Boyan's defense. Okay? So let's take George Niang for a second, who, when George Niang this year has been on the floor, he's played 1,400 possessions. Our defensive rating's not very good. It's a 112.7 which is in about the 35th percentile. Except for the fact that when you put Rudy Gobert on the floor with him, it gets much better. It's suddenly a 106.1 or .0. .0. It's 86th percentile. And yet he's only been on the floor because of the way they used Boyan 10% of the time. With Rudy Gobert. Hmm. Take Rudy Gobert off the floor, and suddenly the defense with George Niang on the floor is awful. So 115.6, it's in the 15th percentile. This is, by the way, anyone who tells you that the game is staging Rudy Gobert out and he's not that valuable, um, I've got some numbers we could talk about. And you're hearing them right here. Okay? So when George Niang's on the floor with Rudy Gobert... The defensive rating is a 106, and when he's off the floor, it's basically a 116. Maybe, instead of doing what's the obvious, which is you just put Royce O'Neal in the starting lineup, maybe you're actually put George Niang in the starting lineup because you have him play all of his minutes with Rudy Gobert the same way you did with Boyan Bogdanovich.
2: So, David, one last question for me. I want to sneak in here. Of all the things that you consider for this particular jazz team now without Boyan, moving into this kind of scenario, eight game regular season left, and then into a playoff situation, what is the most important factor for this particular team?
1: Probably, I mean the way we the way you were going to win games was that we were going to outshoot people, right? We're the best shooting team in the league our shot distribution's way better than everyone else. And Boyan was a huge part of that. We're not, we were not a great defensive team. It made us all uncomfortable all year. We weren't quite sure how to deal with that, what to do with, with that. Is there a way that with Boyan Bogdanovich not playing, that we somehow get better defensively? And, 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 and I I don't know how you do this, but you don't drop significantly offensively, which I think would be really hard. I mean, we're the best shooting team in the league, largely because of Boyan. But frankly, you know, we've been a top 10 shooting team for each of the last four years because of Quinn's offense too. So, um, you know, maybe there's something there where the loss of Boyan allows us to be better defensively and that pushes us into a better space in some way. I'm making stuff up. I got no, I got no way that we're better
0: without Boyon. I just tried. It was a futile effort, but I tried. Tough sell. It's a tough sell right there. But uh, I, I liked right. it. I liked it. It was a good argument. Uh, David, thank you, as always, for jumping on with us. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, I think we're all excited. We're making some progress here, so it's good. Hey.
2: Dave, David, one more one more thing to think about. I want you to think about this and the next time you come on our show. I'd like to hear your opinion. Jake and I were talking about this yesterday. The five best shooters in jazz history. Think that through and uh, let us know what you think.
1: Five best shooters in jazz history.
0: Yep. You got Morris Almond, yeah, Mo Almond, obviously. Mo Almond, Mike Ronnie Brown, Brewer, Ronnie Brewer. Uh, who else? Uh, Larry Krasowskiak, Delaney Rudd, uh, rounding out the list.
2: Right, right, David, Rusty Larue.
0: Well, I got I know who one is, <laughs> and now I got to figure out the rest of them. Okay. Well, who we'll check one? in with you on that. Boyan might uh, <laughs> be two, by the way. I left Boyan off my list just because he hasn't been on the team long enough. I considered longevity. You're half that. True, but I mean the the what you judge this on is your own, right? Well, sure. You ask who the best shooters on the Jazz team are, like best shooters in a Jazz uniform. I don't know. Longevity matters. See, I don't
2: think it does okay, in that well, question. That, that, no, that is like
1: that is the weirdest caveat to add into the question. By the way, I got to just share that it's just part of the equation. You didn't like do like who made the most important shots, or that who all matters too. The most, like biggest impact for a long period of time. You just asked who the best shooters ever in a jazz uniform were. Who played, you didn't like, now you add these caveats. Like, how am I supposed to do this?
0: By your I'd own say, discretion.
2: Yeah, yeah, you do it according Whatever, to your However you right. formulate it, you do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the Golden Griff's got to be on the list because he was a three-point shooter long before the history, the league, right? Like, that was, he was shooting threes when no
2: one else in the league was. But his percentage wasn't very high relative to the list.
1: Right, but his percentage was probably high relative to his
0: time. the other three-point shooters in the league that year. Yeah. I had him as number 5 on my list, by the way.
1: Well, he played a lot of games, though. You probably should push him up a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> David, thank yeah. you for that uh, smart-alecky it. conclusion to our conversation today. Joe Ingles is walking around right now just pissed. You took on You didn't mention me. <laughs> well, you can make it up with Joe. He was here donating blood today, which is awesome. Oh. He's generally a pretty good guy, despite the front. He tri- no, I'm just kidding. Thank you, David. I
1: miss, no, I miss I miss George Niang. I miss a bunch of these people.
0: Well, we miss you, buddy. Hopefully, we'll be able to see you in person at some point, and you'll be able to see them. Okay, talk to you soon. Thanks, man. David Locker, good friend, radio voice of the Utah Jazz.